quick preface. Um, we originally intended this to be just one episode, um, but we ended up talking for so long about each movie that I have split it into three separate episodes that I will be uploading. Um, yeah. So this episode will encompass our review of Spider-Man 1. Uh, we have a couple topics we talk about at the beginning of the show, but um, that is going to be the meat of this first episode. Here we go. Hello. Um, we finally bit the bullet, folks. Uh, this is Pop Cultural Quintessentials uh, with Cubed. Uh, cubed being the Kiros brothers, one, two, three. Um, that is our group <laughs> chat name that Jonathan came up with. Thank you for giving me credit, Ruben. And I thought that would fit. No, this. no, 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 no. You no. thought it would fit. I thought, yeah, don't be trying to take credit for my work, all right? All right, so this is Ruben Kiros. Uh, the other voice you were hearing is Jonathan Kiros. Uh, you can call me JQ if you desire. That is what most people call me. <laughs> And then... Last but not least, me! Jacob Kiros, yeah. What's up? Yeah. You'll, you'll hear the, 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 the best coming up from me, you know? You'll hear the worst coming up. <laughs> All right. So how we'll structure this, I mean, it's going to be pretty freeform, quite honestly. It's probably okay. just going to be like one of our typical conversations where we'll go back and forth. And I will try to keep us reined in if we ever go off topic. Um, these initial episodes are going to be covering the Spider-Man series, um... Starting today with the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man series. Um, then next we will do the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies. And then culminate with the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies. All in anticipation of No Way Home. Which while they are not confirmed officially for that movie. We all know they're probably in it. Um, but first a couple things off the top here. Um, first off. We all saw Ghostbusters Afterlife over this break. And I wanted us to give our quick thoughts about that film uh, it was a fun movie you know um i uh i think it's the proper sequel to the ghostbusters uh you know it was originally going to be a trilogy but they didn't make the third movie and then this is a sequel to the second movie well more of the first more movie. of the first they don't movie. really mention they the don't really mention the second movie but anyway i think it, it uh it did, its, it did its job better than the uh, 2016. Was it 2016 or 2014? I've never heard of that one. Oh, yeah. Okay, fine. What are you talking about? Yeah, uh, the one with Chris Hemsworth and uh, I don't, I don't all know. those ed- the Kristen Wiig. Kristen oh. Wiig, Melissa yeah. McCarthy. Wait. Kate McKinnon. Yeah, Kate McKinnon. And yeah. then, uh, oh, God, I forgot. Leslie her Jones. Leslie Jones. Yeah. They're funny. I actually don't mind that movie. I feel like people give that movie a bad rap. Like, is it great? No. Is it, like, horrible? The worst thing I've ever seen? Also, no. Like, they're funny people. It's just bad use of IP. It know? felt like this one had more soul to it. Just because... No and I feel like, <laughs> I feel like the big part of that is that Jason Reitman, uh, the original director's son, Ivan Reitman, uh, came to direct this one. And you can feel like he's been around this IP his entire life. Which he was, because he was on set for those first two movies. I can't believe Dan Aykroyd's original idea for this was a lot crazier than what it ended up being. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm changing topic real suddenly. Just finish with, finish your part, though. <laughs> <laughs> Jason Reitman came back to direct this one, and I feel like it's the perfect homage. It's like a Spielberg, Spielbergian. There you go, bud. Yeah, I can talk. <laughs> Spielbergian uh, homage. But it retains the core of the IP. Like, while it is something completely different than those first two movies, which were more like Exterminator in New York, blue-collar worker, 
type movies. This one was more like that typical E.T., uh, what you've seen St. Stranger Things do, yeah. um, that vibe to it. Yeah. Um, it's strange. Every time we see something Amblin-like, Finn Wolfhard is at the center of it. <laughs> He's trying to hide something. Yeah. No, but um, what I was going to say about it was I thought, I don't know. You say it's completely different, but I'd say like a lot. There's It's kind of a Force Awakens kind of vibe to me. And not to that extent, though. Force Awakens literally was step-by-step retreading. This movie had a lot of original content going in, but it does kind of go back with Gozer and Zool and whatever the name of the freaking Keymaster is. I don't think they said it in this one. They Paul, said it, but I don't remember it. Sheev Raham. It's something like that. It is! It's, it's Sheev something. Yeah. Chief Skywalker. Anyway, my point is, I think it did a good job of incorporating nostalgia, but also growing off of that uh, with new and a, like a new and young cast, and I like that a lot. Some people were kind of complaining about the kid actors in this, really? like at least in Letterboxd and like really some wrong. Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, that is wrong. But yeah, that's that wrong. Man, were, Grace killed it. She did amazing yeah. in that. Yeah. I thought Finn did great. I think whoever played podcast was pretty endearing, even yeah. though his name was Podcast. Like, why the hell was his name Podcast? No, yeah. I mean, it d- definitely did have that uh, Stranger Things vibe. I think yeah. the movie. Um, you know, I also like like I also like how they uh, you know, make like the them chasing after ghosts more of like a almost seem like a hobby rather yeah. than like an occupation, like some job. Yeah. And like uh, like it's not as organized. It's just like almost like something fun that the kids did. I will I will they, I will say yeah. one thing. Letterbox review pointed this out. I, I gotta, I gotta find it again. But um, it was like everyone's reaction to seeing ghosts for the first time is that like the reaction they should have. Like they're like, whoa, you know what this means? Yeah. <laughs> Your dad was a ghost, but it's like, dude, that freaking horned animal just came out of that ghost trap. You're just gonna be like, yo, Egon, yeah, the dude, that's him. It's like, no, but like. I don't know. I don't have many complaints about it. It was a nice, fun little family romp. Um, it had, like, it, it, I don't think it incorporated horror as, as much as the first Ghostbusters did. But I thought what it did have was good. You had Paul Rudd, obviously. National treasure, Paul Rudd. Everything he is in and everything he does, great. Fantastic, you know what you I mean? You can, like, see, like, slight parallels to, like, the Ghostbuster movie with Jack Black that came out a few years ago. What? Like, you know, like, between this movie and that movie. Just, like, I just, wait, like, wait, the overall feel. With Jack Black? No, not the Ghostbusters, sorry. Uh, what's it called? Oh, uh, Goosebumps. Goosebumps. Oh! I meant to say Goosebumps. <laughs> but, uh... Goosebumps, too. Yeah, Goosebumps. That's, that's the movie, yeah. You know, like, where all those guys come out of... I, think, I can't even remember the plot of that movie. It's kind of forgettable. It's every... <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not, it reminds me of this movie. It was very good. I kind of forgot all of it. I mean, <laughs> the thing is, is like it had that same like, you know, atmosphere where like it's just kind of like kids chasing around for uh, like ghosts yeah, or like, you got, like creatures some, and stuff like that. You got some spooky stuff in there. And then, they really did bring Gozer back in though. Yeah. I did. And to get into spoilers a little bit more, that third act... Um, Whoops! <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk about that a bit. Um, I like how the entire film's an homage to Harold Ramis. I know Harold Ramis has been gone for almost the better part of a decade here, but I feel like it was beautiful. He was one of the founders of this franchise, if you feel it. He wrote the first two with Akron, so he had a big part in what, like, the Ghostbusters was and became, um, because Akron was really out there originally, and, like, Ramis and Reitman helped rein it in. Um, I can't but, want to see that original Akron script. I'm curious. I don't. But, <laughs> like, but getting back to it, um, Harold Ramis, yeah, he deserved, like, a send-off, like, to this degree. 
Like, it's a bummer Ghostbusters 3 proper never got made, but in a way, the last 30, 40 minutes of this movie is kind of what the feel of that would have been, I feel. Yeah. Yeah? I do think so. Um, I think they they definitely should have, like, when they were remaking it in 2016 even, they should have had Ramis in mind. I'm surprised that they didn't go with an approach like this from the beginning. Um not even like they didn't even try to make it in the same canon. They like reuse the actors, but in different roles. But I feel yeah. like, I mean, and that's okay. But like, Ramis couldn't be included, and he was a massive part of the first movie's success. Um, but yeah, I did enjoy the fact that they used him. That, that that's some of the best uh, reincarnation CGI, oh, for, for lack sure. of a better word, <laughs> uh, that I've that I've seen. We've come a long way from uh, Jeff Bridges in Tron Legacy <laughs> or Tarkin even five years ago in yeah. Rogue One. Um, we have. Yeah, that was un- it's getting closer to being not on un- Uncanny Valley. Like it felt like he was there. Yeah. So now, now next up, uh, we we're bringing back uh, the dude from Rebel Without a Cause to be in a movie. Remember that? Remember that? Did that go anywhere? What? They're still doing it. Are um, they still doing that? What's his name? John Dean. Is it? James Dean. James Dean. Yeah. No, they're bringing that. That's a bad idea. Yeah, it's a horrible. It's a bad idea. If I've ever heard of yeah. one. No, that's a completely different topic. But, like, yeah. bringing back actors to play full roles in movies yeah. after they're dead yeah. is such... That's it seems tasteless. Nice. Yeah, it's not tasteless when you're bringing them back to, to, to portray a role that they've already portrayed before. It's, like, to honor them. And, to give and they them have the mind. family's permission. Yeah, and here. you have family permission. Um, with Harold's family, yeah. And it's, like, direct family. It's not like with James Dean where it's probably, like, Graham... Gra- Grandpapa was a famous movie star. I'd love to see him in a movie again. Mm. But no, yeah. no offense to the to the estate of James Dean. Not that you guys will be listening to this anyway, but you know, I just <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy that they got uh, Bill Murray to put on the Ghostbusters costume again. I never thought that would happen. Was well, he's kind of hard to read? He didn't want to, did he? I don't think. I he think. To. I think what I think like doing the Harold Ramis tribute is probably what got Bill Murray to actually put that suit on one it, last time. Yeah, and I think it was. It was perfect. Like, I loved that. Those scene. characters were the same as that eighties movie. Yeah. yeah. And having yeah. a having age of dead. Dan still Alpha's freaking rocker. <laughs> was, I want to see that original script. I want to see what that looked like. Yeah. So yeah, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Um, respectful homage to the original. Something different but new at the same time. Yeah. So um, if you haven't seen it at your local theater, highly recommend it. Or pirate it. No. Please don't. Um, next, um, we also have watched the first two episodes of Hawkeye, the new Disney Plus series. It's all right. It's solid. It's, it's solid. I, so it started out pretty small. There's not much action in it uh, yet. But I am liking the characters that they are writing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Seeing Jeremy Renner's like having the opportunity to actually shine in a Marvel property is yeah. nice because he is a talented actor. Um, not a leading man, though. We shall see. Let's see how this one ends first. And then Haley Steinfeld is, as always, killing it. Um, mm. Kate Bishop, really compelling character. I like the backstory they've given her of, um, you know, seeing Hawkeye at the Battle of New York. And that inspired her to train as a child in his ways. Yeah. So that was really interesting. I like that loop. Um, what else was I going to say? I was going to say something. Oh, yeah, I was going to say Haley's been killing it since, like, True Grit, though. Oh, yeah, I mean... Like, since she was, like, what? She was, like, 14 when that came out? I was, like, 11? I was 2011, that's why. She's been killing it since then. It's just been one hit after another. Yeah, I really like her portrayal as Kate Bishop. I honestly don't know too much about Kate Bishop 
like, as a character in the comic books. Like, I've heard of her, like, before, like, prior to this, I had heard of her, because, obviously, like, if you're in the circles, you hear about it. But, um, yeah, I think she's doing a great job, as always. Renner's doing a great job. Um, I still really want to watch, uh, I really want to see if that Kingpin rumor is true or not. Um, there's a, if, for those who don't know, Kingpin is rumored to show up in this series, apparently. Towards the end, it's one of the bigger bads. Yeah. Um, I like the bads as they are now, though. The, yeah. the tracksuit mafia. Track mafia yeah. uh, Echo will be interesting to see. Because she's know. getting her own spinoff. So I, it'll be interesting to see what her arc is going to be in this show. I don't even know who Echo is. Like, I, I, know, I, know, I know who she was like in the show, but like I'm talking like background-wise. I have no idea who well, this character is. She doesn't have her own comic book line ever, but what she has done is like she's been like a sporting character in the depth. Daredevil, ah, I almost said Deadpool, Daredevil comics at one point. Mm. And basically she's this uh, young girl who was raised by Kingpin and eventually Kingpin tricks her into going after Daredevil, at least from what I've read. So maybe that could be what the show does oh, eventually. damn, maybe that's how they're bringing um, things in it. But yeah, that'll be, that'll be interesting. It could oh, be gosh. like Kingpin's the big bad here and it'll show yeah. up towards the end. But, you know, these Marvel Disney Plus theories... They usually still feel like movies. Like this felt like an act one yeah. to a to a story, and yeah, I yeah. imagine the next two episodes will be the act two. Yeah. So there wasn't much action. I mean, there was that one cool action sequence at the auction where she was dressed as Ronin. That was yeah. pretty cool. The I, LARPing sequence was hilarious. Was hilarious. Yeah, that was really funny. I didn't think that would work, but it worked. It did work. Any um, final thoughts, gentlemen? Oh, yeah, Hawkeye. Not back to the negatives, you know. I only have one negative. Yeah, go I ahead. don't like. I don't like Jack. I don't like Jack at all. Like as a character, not even like, not even like Jack played by uh, Mexican actor Tony Dalton. For those who are curious, Antonio. Which I don't know why he goes by Tony. Should go by Antonio, man. It's the, it's Respect the those roots. It's the Americanization. You uh, gotta let go of the roots sometimes. And it's not always a good thing. No, it's not. I the, he was in the fencing scene. He was pretty pretty good. It made you like yeah. double think the character. But that might have also been some of Steinfeld's acting there. Yeah, I think he has. He's probably gonna have more yeah. going forward. He's you don't get an of, actor like Tony Dalton yeah. to do like this. He's just kind part. of annoying, though. I don't know. Like he feels like one of those one of those like two bit like Marvel villains that you have on the side. Like, and unless you get, like, a really good actor to do that, I haven't seen Tony Dalton much that so maybe he is great, but unless you get, like, a really good actor to do that, it's still kind of wacky. Like, I mean, starting with, pos like, the positive ones, like, uh, Hammer from Iron Man 2, that's kind of a two-bit more kind of a thing, but it's it's Sam Rockwell, you know? Like, that worked. Um, Walter Goggins in Ant-Man and the Wasp, yeah. that one was a bit not. Like, look, I like Walter. He's great in the, in the Hateful Eight. Isn't it Walton Goggins? Is it Walton? I don't know. I, I don't know. know. He's great in The Hateful Eight. He was great in Invincible. He's a great actor. I, he didn't work in that movie for me. Um, so that's what I'm afraid that Jack's character is going to be like. Also, the freaking the, the main deviant from the Eternals movie. Yeah. That man was useless. Really? All right? That, that, there was no need to have that character right, this, in the movie. This isn't in the notes, but we'll move on from Hawkeye and really quickly cover Eternals because Jonathan watched that at the beginning of this break. I, I, I feel like I'm too biased. Me. I, because of my own creative. I, I did not really enjoy the movie as much as, as these two did, but um, 
It's just because, like, in the, at the very beginning, they were just jumping around from different time periods, you know, uh, awesome. solving solving the, the world's problems. And not really the world's problems because they can't get involved unless the deviants are there or whatever. Steam engine. Yeah, yeah <laughs> steam engine and then, you yeah, know, whatever. It, <laughs> stop. It's, okay. too, it's too complex, man. It's I think we have to simplify it yeah, down, we have, simple, we have to make it more, more simple. <laughs> uh, yeah. But um, the movie really, I mean... Uh, contrary to, to Jonathan's opinion, it's uh, I think it picks up when uh, the, in, during the exposition. But the thing I'm, I don't understand. But, Full yeah. spoilers for Eternals. If you haven't watched it yet, um, we are going to probably spoil the movie. All right. The thing is, is that I do agree with Jonathan on the fact that they probably should have, uh, you know, like kind of stretched out, like not like completely bombard the audience with the exposition in one scene, but like you know, spread out the information a little bit throughout the movie from the beginning to. You know, to the point where they, you know, do have that like that uh, revelation see- scene with uh, Erisham and I don't remember the main Cersei. Character. Cersei. Yeah. 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 I mean, you guys have anything to say? I mean, my thing with it. Look, I'm biased because of this, and I won't talk about this a lot on the podcast because obviously I don't I don't want to talk about it that much on the podcast. But I have my own like creative stuff going on around me. Like I I'm I'm a writer. I'm a musician. I'm writing something that kind of deals with some of the same, well, some of the same overarching themes as the Eternals. And throughout the movie, I just had a lot of moments where I'm like, ah, if you just want to stretch this out, or if you want to just, like, let, let this have more time. Like, my main um, gripe about the Eternals, I told Ruben this while we were leaving the theaters, I said, this movie's greatest weakness is that it's set in the MCU. If this thing would have had, like, us just room to grow completely and didn't have to adhere to anything else and it didn't have to be like so confined and you could have spread this story out over like maybe like a season of television or even a few movies this story would have worked really well yeah. I think that that story had a lot of potential and it has so as the the ability to grapple with so many questions about like divinity and the purpose of creation and like like, kind of like altering your own path or altering your own destiny. Like, it has so many of those interesting things, but like, everything's like happening so fast yeah. that you can't really like grab onto those moments. Like, I think, I think how the themes were handled was done pretty well. I think the biggest issue with this movie is there's just too many characters in it. You're introducing 10 new heroes, and then you briefly get. The Dane Whitman slash Black Knight introduction in here. I think that was pushing it. Like, that was pushing it, but I feel like you should have had it. You, you, yeah, they wanted it in there. Um, but basically, like you got ten heroes. You got, you know, the Icarus Cersei love story going on, and then you got Fafsos and his dealing with humanity. You got Angelina Jolie's character Athena yeah. dealing with her memory issues. Along with Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh is also in there involved in that. Isn't it Festus? Um, for, for the character, he's like Festus. I'm pretty sure it's Festus. It's like Hephaestus because he's like a. It might be. It might be. I think it's Festus. I think there's an A in that one. I mean, Hephaestus, and this, this is getting to the and issue. It's not even Athena. It's Athena, I'm pretty yeah. sure. Because yeah, well, they're similar they, they to like, like deities. They, they, yeah, they I know, they, but they change the names or slightly. Yeah. So I think everyone has a deity name except for like Sprite. See, and us having <laughs> issues with the character names, that's like. That's highlighting part of the problem here. Like, there's too many. Like, you can't, like, yeah. keep track of everyone. Like, characters come in and out of this thing, like, Ajak. constantly. I mean, Ajak. I mean, geez, poor Salma Hayek. I mean, I feel like... <laughs> waste of Salma Hayek Waste right of her there. character there. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the Cersei-Icarus love story did not work in this real well. Yeah. Like, you had the Druig-Makari stuff, yeah. and that stuff worked well. And first sex scene since Iron Man 1, though, my red boy? Jesus Christ, man. We're not high-fiving that. Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> 
<laughs> but it made I, me uncomfy. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. I was like, yeah. <laughs> why are we doing this? It's too long, dude. It's like <laughs> ten seconds. I think I know what Chloe Zhao was going for there. Um, she wanted to show it's too artsy fartsy, bro. I'm not no, 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 I mean, like some of the, I think that like, she drags on like some of the like just the pa- like the pan shots. But because I mean? that's like, an artistic choice. I know, you but it's like still, I, I don't know. It's like artsy is that all, Is that all like necessary? Are we gonna talk yeah. about two artsy fartsy in an MCU movie? By the way, I think fine. like the the cinematography in this the thing was, was good, amazing. Yeah. Like, like that shot the, at the end. There's not really a purpose behind it. I wanted more purpose behind like that. Some of those and that's shots. and I feel like you can get that if purpose you cut is- down the characters and you like focus in the story. Get rid of the main deviant. Get rid of the the entire like deviant subplot with oh this God. dude like gaining sentience. It was stupid. Terrible. It, it made Terrible. no sense. Terrible. It felt like tacked on. Like another movie. Uh, we will be talking about. Uh, after in a, in a while, you know, like tacked on things. And I think like, that gets back things. to what you're saying, like too connected to the MCU, because like they need, they wanted that physical force for the heroes to fight throughout the movie, yeah. which is what they gave through the deviants. And I guess they had to shoehorn them in there so you could have the action sequences throughout the movie before you get to the final twist see, with Icarus. That's my thing. No, but here's my thing: you can have the deviants attacking, but this entire idea of one of them gaining sentience is dumb to me. Like you can have that, but like the way. Okay, no, so, I'm not breaking my. I'm not breaking the yeah, 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 But I'm just saying, you focus more on the heroes, and the threats are more kind of like things to act as a foil. Mm-hmm. Like you can have the deviants there to to have like some action or to add some intrigue or some interest, but like don't put so much emphasis on them they're like you know what we should have one of them let's let's get pennywise in here why is pennywise not in the episode waste of bill skarsgård they use Gemma chan twice that is true Mm -hmm. that's true and they're gonna use mahershala's blade which they set up in this post-credit scene you ready for that my man (laughs) you ready for that with me Blade Black Knight's an Avengers, Avengers uh, character in the comics. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. Yeah. He's a good guy. Now, yeah. they might do, like, Midnight Suns, where, like, they have Blade, like, lead a team of heroes, like he does in the comics, and Black Knight's part of that. Oh, yeah. Midnight Suns. That's a dope name. That... Oh, my God! <laughs> yeah, that could be a thing. Wow, they really peaked. They really peaked their name-wise. <laughs> Midnight Sun. That is amazing. <laughs> Defenders, you know what I mean. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> oh, we should probably do this. Yeah. So oh yeah, real going personal. back to the to the move. Like, let's give scores to everything we've talked about. So oh far. yeah, shoot. Out of ten, okay. all, right. all right, Ghostbusters yeah. Afterlife. I think. Uh, what did I give that? I'd say like a seven, maybe. I think I gave that around a seven because yeah. I gave it a three point five. I'd give it around an eight personally. I gave it like a three point five on Letterboxd. Um, the initial Hawkeye episodes, I'd give it a six, six and a half, seven, six, six and a half. I think six is a. Six and a half, six with Jack. I'm just. I think. I think it's gonna build. I have. I have a feeling this one's gonna be better by the end. And then Eternals is a six for me personally. Six or but like six and a half for the attempt because I think there was a lot of things there that were working really well. Yeah, Yeah, I'll go six and a half. If you would have given Chloe Zhao that movie. No connections to the MCU. Would have been fantastic. So, like, a multiverse thing? You said, like, Eternals in a different multiverse? Or, like, just don't... You There's no need to, like... Because they're like, we have to mention Thanos. Are, we gotta they, do all this. Or like, trying to connect all these movies. I feel like they can do standalone things. I was talking... Uh, okay, like, last thing, real quick. Because I was talking to Ruben about this while we were leaving the theater. I'm like, now that the... Now that the multiverse has opened up in the MCU, we have, like, a chance 
for Feige to like take more risks and do standalone movies yeah. set in different universes. There's, there's like, and I know Ruben, your main critique about that was the main draw of the MCU is that interconnectivity. Yeah, but right. Why have that be the main draw? Drink, try to bring more artistry and more unique voices in instead of trying to make the same movie with different kind of like heroes and different kind of like settings. Because like one of the big complaints that people have about the MCU is the formula. Right. We have, you have a chance now to keep doing the formula, but off of that to like expand and do some more yeah, stuff exactly. yeah I think it just might get too confusing for like general audiences and they might yeah. like move on to something else which you know they could try it I mean I'm not saying they shouldn't try it I'm just saying there's an inherent risk in that you do like you, you, you call it something else and don't call it MCU call it like Marvel All right. <laughs> or maybe add that to like the streaming service rather than like Marvel iridescent you know what I mean like so it doesn't confuse the general audience only the things that come out in theater connect to the you know, the MCU. I could do something. Maybe. Like you do a different intro at the beginning of multiverse projects. Yeah, or that. You could do that to distinguish them. Yeah. Okay. All right. Before we get to the main event, uh, one final thing here um, at the top of our show. A um, little bit more of a somber note. Um, we got this news yesterday. And since Jonathan is really connected to the music industry, I thought uh, we should talk about this. Um, Steven Sondheim, um, one of the key contributors to the musical genre in the 20th century. Um, who gave life to a variety of different uh, musical genres, uh, passed away yesterday at age 91. Um, he was a big influence on a bunch of the musicals uh, that we have today. Um, and here's just a list of a couple of the ones he's made. A fun, funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Company, Follies, uh, Light Night Music, Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street, Sunday in the Park with George, Gypsy, Into the Woods, and West Side Story. Um, yeah. Well, West Side Story, he wrote the book. He wrote the book, yeah. not the music. Yeah. Okay. Well, he, he was well. He was the type of person who wasn't just like writing musicals themselves. He was very active in the creation of stories and the very active in like having other people's voices heard. And he was massively influential, especially on this new generation of musicians. You just talk to like vocalists or people who are like into music theater, or into like this this art of storytelling, and Sondheim is a name that comes up almost immediately. He was a spectacular writer, a spectacular person, and honestly will be very sorely missed. But yeah, honestly, yeah, love. For me personally, my connection is really from Sweeney Todd and, and Into the Woods, because like, those are just fantastic musicals, yeah. and they deal with such complex yet intriguing stories in a way that's like very grown up and yet very engaging. So like, just an amazing musician, so yeah. His legacy will be with us for a long, long time. He is definitely still, dude. His influence on Broadway is just. Massive. Oh yeah, you hear all those current Broadway guys, at least like in the interviews I've read. Yeah. Um, Miranda, for example, like all those guys, like everyone Son takes yeah. Sondheim, like big inspiration. Like, yeah. He was around for a long time. Sondheim was one of the. He greats. was versatile, man. Yeah. Um, I only saw the movie versions of Sweeney Todd and Into the Woods, but just those two? I mean, you have a horror story with a barber killing people, and you have a throw-up of the fairy tale genre. Now, I know those two movies are nothing like the stage musicals. The stage musicals are better. 100, 100%. 100%. I am not de I'm not denying that, because I didn't really like Into the Woods. Sweeney Todd, I thought, was okay. Like, the Tim Burton one. I Personally. I know you do. Um, but, like, just that just showed... Those two just showed his range. Um... And yeah, I personally will probably go back and listen to some of his other stuff. Since. I highly encourage that you do. Go and listen to the original recording of Sweeney Todd with, um, what was it? it was Angela Lansbury and then 
Ooh, I always forget his name. His last name is Carew, I believe, but it's the original Sweeney. Um, he's not the most famous Sweeney, but it's the original. That that original cast recording is very good. Any recording of Into the Woods, honestly. I didn't think that... I mean, like, it depends on you. My girlfriend's uh, 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 very into musical theater, and she's a uh, vocal major, opera uh, opera singer. Um so she definitely has like a like a, like a bit of a, a bit of a grudge against like the the movie interpretations. Mm-hmm. But honestly, Into the Woods movie is not terrible. I'd say it's at least better than Sweeney. It's a better adaptation than Sweeney Todd was. But there are so many things that you miss out there. But even the song recordings on that are good. So yeah. yeah. And now on to the main event. Give me the blue light, Rosie. Um, <laughs> I don't understand that reference. Me neither. Okay. <laughs> Very funny. All right. Um, so we watched the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy. I hadn't watched those movies in a row like that, beginning to end, in a good while. I don't think I've ever done that. Again. You don't think so? I don't think so. Dang. You were pretty young when they came out. Uh, you were three when the last one Jacob came out. Jacob was my baby. <laughs> Little baby. Um, what a wee lad. So we're going to go through each of these, um, give our general thoughts, um, and then at the end of it, we will discuss which one's our favorite, why, um, give general review should scores. It should be hard to do. <laughs> it's pretty easy. I, I agree with you. I, I feel like we're going to agree on this. Yeah. Um, so starting with Spider-Man 2002, the original Spider-Man. Um, first point, um, I think it's a perfectly paced origin story like it tells the story of peter parker in a concise but digestible manner like that original spider by his uh, relationships with harry osborne mary jane all of that stuff introduced really quickly in the first 20 minutes of the movie and it doesn't feel like overwhelming pacing it's like written to the degree where like the audience is entertained following along the journey as he's becoming Spider-Man. The, the pacing of this movie is breakneck, but like in the best way possible. Like I, watching it again, cause it's been a second since I've watched the first one. I've seen Spider-Man 2 like pretty frequently, uh, but like I haven't seen the first Spider-Man all the way through for at least five or six years. And I was just shocked. I'm like, oh, this is happening already? And it works. I think that's the crazy thing that it all kind of worked out. Like the pacing yeah. of it. Um, I thought the, the the characters were compelling, if you know, a bit cheesy. I mean, that is Raimi yeah, though. Raimi has that camp too. I feel like that's the only drawback with those, uh, at least the first movie. I think it's like some of the dialogue, just at times, like especially like when uh, uh, Mary Jane and Peter Parker interact in some of the scenes. I'm just like, ah, just beat me over the head with a stick, man. You know what I mean? <laughs> but like, it's like it's fine. I mean, like, uh, I think it works yeah. honestly overall. Back to the camp uh, argument. Yeah. I- I'm going to push back a bit. Okay. I feel like those initial comics that came out in the 1960s with Spider-Man were this campy. Especially with like the dialogue that Stan Lee would write for uh, Spider-Man and like the villains. Yeah, It fits what Sam Raimi did. Yeah. It, you can tell Sam Raimi read those comic books and like put his own style into it. And that's where the camp comes from. Like yeah. I feel like this is the perfect adaption of the initial Spider-Man comics. And if you tried to do this now, it wouldn't work as well with yeah. modern audiences. But I feel like... What this movie did really well was take what they did initially with Spider-Man, move it into, like, the early 2000s, and they adapted it. Some of the choices are really bizarre. I though. will agree some of the choices are bizarre. <laughs> Remember, okay, when he was transforming, I wrote down here. What did I write? 
Love the random skulls when he's transforming into Spider-Man. Just randomly, he's on the floor sweating, and it's like, eh, <laughs> this random skulls yeah. popping up. Yeah. Like, for no reason at all. Just other than to, to be spooky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then talking about the goblin, because uh, he comes in pretty early in the movie yeah. as well, um, you get Norman Osborn's backstory. Um, yeah. The military's going to cut his funding because, like, you know, he's not moving along I, I, properly. Yeah. yeah. So he tests the goblin stuff on himself, and that's where the real fun of this movie begins, when Willem Dafoe gets to go full camp. Yeah. Like, there's, <laughs> like the movie's campy, but Willem Dafoe... But, yeah, Willem Dafoe went to a whole different level with this thing. Like, Sam Raimi let him run wild with this. He was like, go crazy, man. Now, I have one major complaint about uh, about Norman Osborn in this movie. Oh, really? Yeah, well, I, I, it's... it's yeah. Um, uh, he should have that comic, the comic book waves. Comic book he waves. has waves. He, has, he, does not he has waves. Stop. He he's the one white man in history to have waves. Stop. Look up the picture. Both him and Harry have waves. Stop. Why did, wavy hair? No 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 not wavy oh, hair. I'm talking, I'm talking about, about waves, Ruben. Oh. He put the do rag on. <laughs> he was <laughs> They should have brought that in. They should have brought that in. He should have had the waves. It would have been hilarious. What do you think about how they juxtapose Peter Parker's transformation with Norman Osborn's transformation, like, one after the other early on in this movie? Um, I think there are a lot of parallels being drawn between Peter and Norman throughout the movie, which I really do enjoy. Like, I was talking to you about this at one scene where they're on the on the roof and Goblin's like, you and I could rule this city, Spider-Man, or whatever. Oh, like, but, yeah, you, Jacob just looked at the comic book waves. You thought, you thought I was lying. I you were lying. You thought I was lying. They have waves. Anyway, anyway continue. they should have kept them. Both Harry and him. <laughs> they both should have had waves. They had do-rag technology. You know the, the Green <laughs> Goblin wears a do-rag in the comics? Breaking cutting edge. That, Stop. Is, that is a Santa hat without the little... <laughs> anyway, my point is that in that moment, um, there's kind of this moment where... where, where where the Green Goblin, I'm gonna have to find my note on this. I took a lot of notes on uh, on maybe, random things. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe. <laughs> no, but he's like <laughs> kind of reflecting on his own arc as a person because he's like talking talk to Spider Man. He's like, even after everything you do for these people, eventually they'll hate you. It's kind of just talking about himself. He's this exceptional like businessman and scientist who did all these amazing things and then he's disregarded at large by like the people that he's trying to like impress the most and he's kind of like he's kind of like reflecting on himself like yes the green goblins are like motivation in this movie is essentially this person did me wrong i'm going to literally murder the shit out of him but like like he has some moments he has some like really amazing moments like that no like like, the scene you're talking about like where he's talking to spider-man about how the city eventually will hate him it comes after the board was going to kick norman out and that if you look at it they were taking him out of that company that he had made originally so like yeah i i see what the point you're making like norman osborne had seen that hard work eventually like people will turn against you no matter what is what his perspective of the world was um with the military turning on him and his own board turning on him so yeah it makes sense that he would tell spider-man that yeah um so jumping ahead a bit after the green goblins introduction uh peter begins discovering his powers um, in a fun sequence um, of dif- different misadventures. I, I still can't believe that Trace done is real. 
the Trey stunt that he does, it's it took them like a hundred or so takes, but he actually got it. Yeah. Like that is very cool. Um and his this is his entire discovery scene is cool. That spider sense scene is amazing. Alright, the scene where it's like you you see like the, the fly and then the spitball and then flash like which is Deathstroke. Oh fuck. Yeah, fact. Joe Joe Manganiello. Yeah. Yeah. Gets his uh, ass kicked by Spider-Man. But like <laughs> <laughs> we wanna fight me neither, man. You know what I mean? And he plays Flash is played here as the typical bully as it yeah. used to be in media. I mean, yeah. now you got the new Flash Thompson in like Homecoming, and he, that's like the modern. He was only form of really bullying, in this first movie. He, I think he only was in kind this first movie. Kind of a waste movie. of Flash Thompson, in my in my opinion. But it makes sense. Like, I guess you know, high that's school ends, people move away, you lose contact. It, it's just what happens. Yeah, it's true. So I guess that kept to reality a bit. But yeah, um, yeah, he fights Flash. Um, yeah. He beats up Flash, <laughs> um, and then Flash shows up to pick up Mary Jane later yeah, on. But I'd like to say real yeah, quick go ahead. there, uh, Peter, it's, in the comics, um, I think it was especially in the Superior Spider-Man comics when they first brought it up, but Peter's like holding back his strength half the time because he has super strength, and if he really punched someone with all his might, they would be dead. Um, so, um, so my thing is, Peter does not know his own strength in this scene. How the hell is Flash still alive? What? Oh, how the hell is Flash still alive, though? I mean, I don't know. The only explanation is that he didn't have all his, like, strength yet. He doesn't know what his strength is at this point. He's still discovering his power. Yeah, but I mean, like, he would be punching all out is my thing. Yeah. Flash should be dead. He should have no head left. <laughs> They didn't want to kill Flash in that scene. What are you? <laughs> That'd be a very different movie, JP. Exactly. I can't believe I killed him. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. Also, how is no web shooters more realistic? Before we keep. Oh yeah, on. let's talk about yeah the organic webs. Let's <laughs> let's just talk about that fully right now. Yeah. So in the comics, uh, Peter Parker Spider Man invents these web shooters to be able to shoot webs because his powers just encompass. Uh, climbing walls, the spidey sense, Super the strength, strength yeah. um, but he does not have webbing that he shoots out. Yeah. In this version, Sam Raimi uh, believed that uh, Peter Parker would not be able to invent these things in high school. It would be unrealistic. So he decided to give him uh, organic webbing. Yeah. Uh, so which is which is a choice. Um, yeah, it's a choice. Uh, so I don't think it's a bad one. He personally. couldn't make web shooters, but he could make that like top of the line Gucci suit. Uh, just flawless, yeah. flawless webbing and everything. Like, it looked amazing. There's no way a teenager made that in his room, is my thing, out of a t-shirt and some I, jeans. I, yeah, I, agree I don't that. think having organic web shooters takes away from Spider-Man as a character. It does not. But I not understand, I understand people who make that argument, though. Like, I get it. Like, they're saying, oh, it shows that Peter isn't as creative or inventive as he is. Like... I, I guess people see the web shooters as a display of Spider-Man's intelligence in the comics. We don't really see much of Peter's like sciency or intelligence in these movies. No, there's think not. There's it. not really. I guess oh, just like in the, the dialogue. I mean, when no, he's talking. The scenes in the in the classroom. Yeah, the scenes in the classroom dialogue in the third yeah. movie. There's a moment where he's talking about the acoustics of the yeah. thing, but really, you don't. 
Yeah. Like, compared to the other two? I think, like, the first movie is, like, the most we get that science yeah. side of Peter Yeah, because, like, compared to the... Because, like, all, honestly, half the time they're just like, this kid's a genius. Well, even, like, this kid's smart as heck. I'd also say, like, in the beginning of the second movie, too, like, yeah. he's, like, doing that paper and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, Otto Octavius. Yeah. And I'm just saying, I think visits, like, they, they, yeah. they grapple with that intelligence question a lot more in Tom Holland's, and especially Andrew Garfield's, I think. Yeah. Uh, talking, of, like, out of these three than they do with, the, with, with Toby. Um, but yeah, um, what else? All right, moving on um, to the next part of the origin. Did you have something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to. I wanted to talk about the uh, just like the quirky transitions between like some of the shots, some of the scenes, bro. Like especially like this was one transition like from the military base where like the Green Goblin just throw like just these throwing bombs at the base and stuff like that. There's a huge explosion. And then after that, they tra- they transition to like this the, all the, the all the caps. Yeah, the debris the transfers caps. to caps. Yeah, yeah. Like the graduation caps in the air. Like I, I just think like it's so funny. Um, also canonically, uh, right there, Green Goblin killed Iron Man. They always got to bring Tony into this into these <laughs> movies. Uh, it's just, it's unacceptable. But I just think like stuff like that, small <laughs> things like that, make this movie just so much more fun to watch. Oh yeah, uh, it adds to the camp. Skeleton bomb, you know. <laughs> We'll get to the bomb. skeleton bomb. We'll get to the skeleton bomb. But I just definitely like stuff like that. Okay, so going, uh, so yeah. Peter has this talk with Mary Jane after he gets home. Very schmaltzy. Um, yeah, what we think of this scene? I look like <laughs> this is gonna be something that comes up with me personally again and again when it comes to Peter and MJ in this franchise. I just don't buy it. I <laughs> compared to like the other relationships you see in the other Spider-Man movie. We'll get to there. We'll get there when we get there. But like, it's just it's just really hammy and schmaltzy, and it's charming to a degree in this first movie. But it's still kind of like, uh, uh, you know what I mean? Like, beat, beat, beat my head over. A beat, oh, stick. beat, beat me over the head with my. Like, I thought I thought. Peter, he was, he was an angel. Peter, I remember in the first grade, it's like, dude, please shut up, for God's sake. Oh, my favorite line in this scene is when um, Peter tells MJ he hunches when she asks him, like... I slouch. Yeah. No, Don't. I hunch. I hunch. I hunch. Oh, I hunch. I hunch. Yeah, I hunch. He's like, you look taller. It's like, I usually hunch. Don't. Why? <laughs> Stop! So, yeah. Peter tells MJ to follow her dreams, yeah. um, which begins the yeah. planting of the romance, I guess. I don't buy the chemistry between those two. Yeah. Especially on a rewatch, I really just don't buy that. There's zero chemistry between those two. Like the actors or the characters? Oh, the the, the, the actors. Okay. I don't think Kirsten and Toby... Apparently, they, they dated for a while, too. They did, yeah. Every Spider-Man actor has dated their co-star. Really? Yeah, yes. they have. I just don't... I can see why it didn't last, was all I was going to say. I can see why that one lasted the least amount of time. Um, I just don't buy... I don't buy that connection. I don't yeah. buy it at all. All right, so after that scene, we have Flash show up, pick up Mary Jane in his car, which is going to be the impetus of Spider-Man becoming Spider-Man here. Man really gets his, his uncle killed over some cars and some... <laughs> so, yeah, he gets... Parker decides to enter a wrestling contest... To win three grand to get the cheapest car available at a used car lot, basically, is what we go here. He's going to take the bus. Uncle Ben decides to take him because Uncle Ben's worried about Peter at this point. And we get probably the best scene, I think, in live-action Spider-Man history. That is the best one. Cliff Robinson killed this. Yeah. 
Like, I think, yeah, the great power, great responsibility line. He is Uncle Ben. It builds up to it properly. It's delivered in a way that is endearing. Yeah. Um, powerful moment, too. Powerful, powerful. And it has made every other live-action Spider-Man skirt around this. Because this, <laughs> this has done it so well. Like, I don't think you can make this you scene better. You can't replicate it. You can't, not choice. Not even, like... Uh, we'll talk about we'll talk about Charlie Sheen's Charlie Sheen's father in the, yeah, in yes. the next episode. But my God, that's Charlie Sheen's father. Yes, yes, oh Martin Sheen. That's Martin Sheen and T T A S M, whatever they call it. Amazing Spider Man. Anyway, but yeah, no, that scene is very well done. Um, I buy the chemistry between Toby and and that actor more so. His than, uncle. Yeah, yeah, more so than anything else. Also, I'd like to point out. Um, Uncle Ben's first lines in this movie were biblical, uh, so he's a god. What were his lines? I don't remember. <laughs> but they were biblical. I was like, "Let there be light." When he was like putting in a light. Yes, that was it. That was um, it. He said, "Let there be light." <laughs> That's Sam Raimi's. The Sam Raimi for ye chess, okay? <laughs> Uncle Ben is a god. You know what else happened in that scene? Uncle uh, Uncle May. <laughs> and Aunt May was like, Peter, would you would you clean the dishes? Would you clean that green dish in the sink? Green dish. Green goblin. Peter <laughs> cleaning up the city. Stop. I'm making connections. Stop. I'm making connections. Alright. Okay, um, we're moving so on. So great power, great responsibility. <laughs> Epically done. Please, um, connections, man. Connections. Connections. Peter goes to like fight uh this wrestler um, that we call Bonesaw this in this is a, movie. This okay. Bonesaw. This is the goofiest thing in this movie by far. This entire this, sequence. This, I, this, I watch watching this entire trilogy. Every like weird thing that happens. Honestly, people call out the montage in the third Spider-Man. Like, this is so weird. This is weird. Like out of nowhere, this this Bonesaw character comes and people be cutting their arms <laughs> in the face off. He's like, like what's his name? Randy Savage? Yeah. No, what's his, no? I think it's Randy Savage. Andy right. Savage? No, I think it's Randy. It's Randy, Randy Savage. Savage. <laughs> He's like that. He's like he has that vibe, and he's just there, and then he's gone. Um and here is our first Bruce Campbell uh cameo as oh. the ring announcer. Yeah. Yes. I mean you can't have a Sam Raimi movie without Bruce Campbell. I think funny enough, least favorite Bruce Campbell cameo out of these three. Really? I think so. Huh, okay. I don't I don't know. I think it's entertaining. Of... I mean he no, gives no, Spider Man no, no. his name. No, no, I'm I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying out of the three it's my least favorite, which is weird because I think it's amazing. No, it's like the human spider. Like, yeah. That sucks. That sucks. I'm not gonna call you the human spider Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> great, I love that. Uh, it's a great scene. Yeah. I love that entire that entire first scene of Peter kind of getting like uh, I don't know. He's getting he's he, he he's getting used to the powers. He's like, oh, I can fight. This is this is yeah. doable. Yeah. Um, there's that one line everyone says doesn't age well. <laughs> That's a nice suit. Did your husband make it for you? you <laughs> but it's one of the few times we have this Spider-Man quip at all in this trilogy. Yeah, it is, which is unfortunate. Yeah, <laughs> it's a funny line. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm sorry. It's a funny line. It's pretty funny. It's a funny line. Does it age well? Maybe not. Funny line. <laughs> Um, yeah, other not. other cameo you have in this scene, which was crazy. Uh, Octavia Spencer plays the person giving uh, Peter the waiver yeah. before he fights Bonesaw. 
which what blew my mind. Yeah. I mean, it's always a treat when you go back to an older movie and you find like one of these actors. Octavia was doing um, kind of smaller work back then. So she was one of the she was in one of the Halloween sequels, like from the original series. Uh, mm. I don't. It might have been H two O. I don't know. That's Halloween twenty. Oh. Well, not not the twentieth Halloween, the twentieth anniversary of Halloween. So mm. it was like the, but like yeah. Um, but yeah, it was really surreal to see her there. Um, but I mean, I mean, other than that, I mean, that basically. Oh. Did you have anything to say about Bone Saw, Jago? Bone Saw, nah. Bone Saw is You said everything. Yeah, I, I think said. another cool thing about this sequence, though, is at this point, Peter doesn't know his full strength, as we were talking about earlier. Yeah. I like how he outsmarts Bonesaw here. Like, he doesn't, like, beat him, like, physically, because he'd probably lose, because he's, like, smaller and he doesn't know his full strength yet. I like how he just, like, climbs up, outsmarts him. I mean, that's quintessential Spider-Man right there. Yeah, yeah, no, that is is Spidey. That's Spidey right there. Yeah, which is why I can forgive, like, him not inventing his own web shooters. I think Sam Raimi still captured... His craftiness. His craftiness. Like, his intelligence I feel that like, he uses. like, um, in that scene, you, like... He grows out of, like, that clumsy clumsiness and, like, that nature that, like... Oh, I don't really know what my powers are, you know? Yeah, he kind of comes kinda, He kind of comes in ter- to terms, like, with his powers. Which is what makes it that makes much it more upsetting when he's just like, ooh, let him go. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Let Getting to that. So Peter beats Bonesaw, as we've alluded to, and then um, the organizer of this thing decides to get all technical and doesn't give Peter the three thousand. You were in there for three minutes. It's just three minutes for a thousand. You had him for two. Get the, get out of here. Get out. Yeah. Of here. Exactly. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he does. He gives Peter like a hundred bucks and like sends him on his way. Um, and then all of a sudden, um, this burglar frosted tips, which um, Jonathan has titled frosted tips because the man has frosted tips. And I don't think he gets an actual name, so we will refer. I'm to him. calling him frosted tips. <laughs> we will call him frosted tips because I don't think. Imagine he gets getting murked by a dude with frosted tips. I'm sick. Anyway, so he comes in. He robs the organizer. Peter's in front of the elevator, and since he's still peeved about what uh, the organizer did to him. He steps out of the way, lets Frosted Tips go down the elevator and leave. Yeah. Um, I love how the organizer's like, you could have stopped him. It's like, dude, he had a gun. <laughs> and then he's like, I miss where that was my problem. Throws his yeah. words, like throws like what the organizer yeah. had said at him, back at him. That and then we been to high hell. Yes, it has. It has been thrown in with the rest of the emo Maguire lines. Yeah, even though it's from the first even movie. Even though it's from the first movie. So then um, we get probably the most emotional, arguably one of the most emotional uh, moments in this trilogy, Uncle Ben's death. I think one of the, uh, honestly, one of the best emotional scenes I get in all these Spider-Man movies. It's very well done. Like, Again, what's the, what's Ben's actor's name again? Cliff Robertson. Cliff Robertson kills that. He kills it. Yeah. He kills it. No pun, yeah, intended, no pun intended. But he really does. Like he sells. He sells that kind of like fleeting yeah. hope in Ben. Like this kind of like he he's sad that he's dying, but this like last kind of like moment of joy that he sees Peter there, and then he passes on. And it's just. McGuire's acting is really good there. I feel like that's like the one, like the first movie. I know people complain about McGuire crying a lot throughout the movies. It works in that scene. I think it works perfectly in that scene. I think it does work well. Um, it just, but like, and then that sadness going right into anger, and he like chases him down. And this is like his first time really being Spider-Man. And yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't exactly operate like Spider-Man ends up operating later on. But like, 
There you go. Like, he's pushed by rage in this sequence. Yeah. Like, first time web flinging through the city. Um, successfully. Which successfully. Looked really good. Um, I think Roger Ebert was a bit hard on this movie when it came out. Like, what did Ebert say? Ebert essentially said that it felt very disconnected. It felt like you're watching a plastic man jumping about. Um, which I, I said in this, I wrote down in this scene I, uh, in my notes, Roger Ebert was too hard on this movie. And then the parade scene came around and I was like, okay, maybe Roger <laughs> had maybe a little bit of a point. But yeah. like, I, I think it's still, because I'm sitting here 2021 20, still being like, yeah, I can buy this. This yeah. movie's almost 20 years old, and it looks pretty good for a movie that's almost 20 years old. Exactly. Um, it's 20 years old next year. Yeah. So Peter chases down Frosted Tips, um, and then Frosted Tips ends up tripping Ooh. out of the window. Hold <laughs> 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 up the window, splats. Splats on the ground. Um, which I thought, I thought this was really well done in the sense of, yeah, Peter's all angry. Like the guy dies, but then he sits at the top of the Chrysler building. Like the death of this guy did not bring him the relief he was seeking. Yeah, I no. guess. Yeah, because his did. uncle's still gone after this. Like, yeah. even though this guy died. Yeah, which um, I think is an amazing close to the Uncle Ben arc. An amazing close. Yeah, we'll get to, to it. this entire Uncle Ben. It, I'm glad that they didn't touch this again, and that they definitely didn't soil it. <laughs> Continuing. Anyway. <laughs> And then we uh, get um, yeah, was, Aunt May comforting Peter after his graduation, going to the yeah. graduation. Also, they were... Mary Jane... because yeah. Mary Jane is, like, breaking up with Flash at the graduation, <laughs> which, first off, horrible timing. Uh, just right out in the open. But she literally... Her words are, you can take your ring back. And I was like... <laughs> were they engaged? Was it a purity ring? Like what? Was I think they were actually engaged. I think, I, no one notices. That. I think Flash was a born again Christian, and it was just a, a purity. Yeah, it was a chastity. It was a chastity ring. Flash hashtag Flash is a virgin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can keep that in. If you edit that out, I will find you, Ruby. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like. We haven't talked about this yet, but how uh, Norman sees Peter as more of a son than Harry, which I think was an interesting dynamic. It's rough, <laughs> it's rough but I think it's an interesting choice. It just shows how bad of a fodder Norman Osborn is, even before he gets the yeah. Goblin Serum. Yeah. Like, how bad? I mean, I mean, even in his introduction, like, at yeah. the very beginning, which, again, I, <laughs> I'm sorry, some of the introductions in this movie are kind of dumb because they, like, really clearly spell out things, but it's like, you're my son, Harry. You gotta make me proud, Harry. You're my son. I'm your father. I'm a scientist. See, I work at the big club. But like, in the back to the Stan Lee writing in the original comics. I know, I know, I know. But there's a reason that those comics were in the '60s. I know, but like it I, works. I said, no, it, I, works. It, works. it works. It works. It works better than what Ang Lee tried to do with the whole yeah. in terms of the direct adaptation of Panels the medium. Like the this yeah. adapted. And I get yeah, yeah, two times that Spider-Man kicked Ang Lee out of the water when it came to comic book <laughs> adaptation because Spider-Verse is definitely what Angley was trying to do with Hulk yeah. and failed miserably at doing. But like, anyway, like my point there going back originally is that from the get-go, you kind of see Norman's not a great father. Not only does he not have waves, he just doesn't have, <laughs> doesn't have like the morality or the attention to actually care about Harry enough. Like he's just kind of like, you're my son, you gotta be your own man, you gotta do your own thing. And he, yeah. like, he that's something that's strange. He, he's constantly like raising up Peter's like, ah, 
your own man, looking for your own job without my help. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like, it's like throughout you have these moments where like, like Norman is just being an absolute dick to his son for no like apparent reason. Because I think he's just like thinking about like where his company's gonna go after like he's done. You know, obviously like he wants his son to take over the company and all that stuff. Yeah, and so like he's, he's too putting, high that, he's putting that pressure on his son to be like. The, the ideal yeah. version right, that he sees in his You see, mind. but seeing that then makes me wonder later on, like, how much of, like, the goblin thing that Harry sees is, like, due to the serum, or if it's really just him grappling with the fact that his dad I think it's, there. I think, we'll, we'll get to this later, but I think it's all in Harry's head. And we'll get to this. I think he's um, just, like, he has, like, serious trauma from growing up and not having... I don't know what happens to, to his mom in this universe. I don't really recall what happens to her in the... In the comics, either I think I'm not sure if she's alive still. She's not alive. Okay, she's not alive. I know in the Spider-Man game she's dead. Yeah, for example. But like, yeah, growing up without a mom and then with a neglectful father, like you're gonna end up being kind of broken. I mean, in my opinion, a little, little, little too broken for my liking. The character, the characterization. <laughs> That's more on James though. So okay, after this, um, after graduation, uh, another great scene. Peter is sitting in his room. Mourning the fact that his uh, almost say grandpa, his uncle couldn't be uh, there for his graduation, yeah. and Aunt May, we haven't talked about Rosemary Harris. I, I, she's way better than I remembered her in these yeah. movies. Yeah, I listened yeah. the first in the first one for sure. Second one, she, second one, she had that good scene. Like, oh, that's true. No, she yeah. was great in the yeah, second yeah, one. She, I feel like great. always, even in the third one, which is the weakest of this, underutilized, trilogy, in the underutilized. Third. But she was always like, her scenes always like brought an extra like emotional yeah. hit mm-hmm. to it, mm-hmm. and here like. She comforts Peter, um, telling him about how like proud his uncle would be of him. And this is what finally gives Peter the impetus to use these powers in the way his uncle told him. He recalls the words, with great power comes great responsibility. In a great moment, looking down at the drawing of the costume he's made. Yeah. And we cut to this the montage, epic baby. montage. Baby, 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 baby. And all the New Yorkers are like, yo, he's so cool, man. Okay, one thing about this scene, though. Did you guys notice that every single criminal in New York is wearing all black and a beanie? It should probably I know, go I know. back to the genre. Hit me with that, miss me with that bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> They're all wearing the same thing. And this this montage also goes back to like what we were talking about at the beginning, uh, how how this movie utilizes its pacing perfectly. Yeah. Like this montage establishes Spider-Man without like having to do like I don't know like 15 20 minutes of scenes. Yeah. Like and it works. It works. Like the pacing the, in this movie is insanely good. Yeah. Like yeah. my god, It's dude. 2 hours. Like you yeah. usually comic book movies nowadays are two over 2 hours. Like yeah. this Dude, used it covered so much time ground. It, yeah. yeah, I did. Like, yeah. So, and then after this montage... Also, wait, last thing about yeah, the montage. Talk about the, montage. The, the The criminal that... Oh, not the criminal. The guy... You know how, like, everyone's, like, complimenting Spider-Man being like, he's out here shooting webs? And also, the extras in these movies are <laughs> phenomenal. Let's not forget that. Like, obviously... Bro, so much screaming in the second movie. <laughs> oh, my God. It's a fire! <laughs> okay, no, but, like, my point is, like, anyway... Like, all the extras being like, oh, he's out here swinging webs, and the dude is like, he stinks, and I don't like him. Definitely a criminal, right? <laughs> like, can we all agree that's probably like Wasn't that a cop? Was that a no, cop? I don't think it was a cop. I he was wearing, like, street clothes. Yeah. I might have been wrong. Yeah. yeah. 
I, I'm like, I, that, that's a scorpion. <laughs> yes, they would have recast him and bring him back for No Way Home, really. I want to see the he stinks and I don't like him guy come back. Yes. But yeah, anyway. <laughs> so Peter has since graduated. He has become Spider-Man. And then he has to look for a job. And here we get the introduction of one of the best castings in a comic book movie ever. J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson comes into the movie. He's a god! He's only in this movie for like five, ten minutes. I can't believe but he that. he steals every second he's on screen. He steals, like he's the best part of like these three movies. I'm not going to lie. He's my favorite part of yeah, these three movies. Yeah. Like there are a lot of emotionally and like cinematic things, like emotional and cinematic things that are done really well. And don't get me wrong, I have high appreciation for that. But J.J., <laughs> J.K. is J.J. I mean, he captures the character perfectly. Like, the character, um, like, goes after Spider-Man. Yeah. It's trying to get Spider-Man caught uh, for crimes, so, like, he's discredited. But he also has, like, a heart of gold, and you can tell, like, the scene, um, just so we can keep, like, all the J.J. stuff together, the scene where the goblin shows up. Um, I love it. As for Peter Parker, J.J. denies... Peter Parker yeah. being the person who takes pictures of Spider-Man. Which is great. Also, I love that moment where he throws this, the, the cigar out of the window and right before the Green Goblin busts in, it gets thrown right back up. Yeah. I just love, I love little, like, because when we're talking about the campiness in the 60s, kind of like comic yeah. book nature of this, that is just hilarious. Those are back it's just in. objectively <laughs> hilarious. Busts through the wall. <laughs> it destroys the entire room. Oh. Um... Yeah, just like amazing character, heart of gold, very like they haven't they haven't tried to touch JJ without JK no. since these movies. Like it's exciting to have him back. Ultimate Spider-Man, even in the show, that was JK Simmons. Yes. <laughs> they right. in the Amazing Spider-Man movies, they have him like send a text to JJ, like JJJ, J Jonah Jameson. That's it. He responds in a text. They were so afraid to pick <laughs> someone that wasn't JK Simmons that they brought him back for No Way Home. Like yeah. Far from home, technically. But. Yeah, far from home. My point is that, like, it's so hard to capture what J.K. Simmons captured in this. Honestly, won an Oscar for Whiplash. Should have won for this. I'm totally wrong, though. They were dragging in their nominations. Ooh. Put that. Put a zinger right there, Ruben. Oh, yeah. Put a little sound effect that goes like, zing right there. So, yeah, yeah. Here we have, so, this part of the movie is basically what I call... Peter pining after MJ. Um, Harry started, starts dating MJ. Um, but then... Norman gets fired. Norman gets fired. So the funny. parade sequence, Norman shows up. <laughs> it's yeah. so funny how they decide to fire him. They wait till the very end of that board meeting. It's like, the numbers are up. This is our time to move forward. It's like, and we are moving forward. Without you. It's like... The very end. <laughs> but he created that situation for himself, if you look at it. Because it's Quest... Um, whatever they're called, quests. Oh, yeah. The people who he blew up <laughs> earlier are the ones who want to buy Oscorp. So, you know how much I suck, <laughs> So, I don't know. Maybe, like, if Norman would have lost the military contract, maybe he still would have been able to keep the company. It would have been worse. But... It's so funny to me how they just spring it on him, though. It's like, dude, they just ambushed this man at the end of the board meeting in front of everyone, too. Like, know? they didn't wait. In front of everyone else. I feel around. like business is this proof. We're doing this without you. No, oh, I'm sure it is. I've seen, yeah. I've seen Shark Tank. Yeah, Kevin. there you go. Mm-hmm. Kevin's an asshole. But that's just, he just, <laughs> yeah. redistribute Kevin's wealth. Hashtag redistribute Kevin's wealth. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> um, so yeah, Norman shows up um, to this parade that Oscorp's hosting, blows up the board with this bomb. 
that turns them into skeletons. Out, am I? He under it. The best we under Jacob. Finger roll, bro. Jacob didn't even remember I that moment. Remember it, no. He was like, we were watching the movie again. And Jacob was like, what? He was like, <laughs> he's like shook. And I was like, how do you forget the skeleton bomb? You can't forget the skeleton bomb. You know what I can't forget, though? Uh, nutty Nutmeg Fantasy. Who said that? Oh, yeah, that's Macy Grace. Grace. No, that's Grace. literally the oh, only reason oh, anyone yeah. remembers. Yeah. Oh, the only reason anyone remembers Macy Grace because of that movie. Poor, poor Macy Grace. I haven't listened to any of her other music. I've only heard to like, I've heard 20 seconds of her music. <laughs> so yeah, this parade ends up being. Baby, I know we had yeah, the bad day. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm sorry. All right, so this parade ends up being the first confrontation between uh, Spider-Man and Green Goblin. Yes. Um, I think you know, besides Spider-Man jumping on the balloons, I think this scene. I think it holds up. Pretty it well. holds up pretty well. It looks. He looks like a video game character while he's doing that. Yeah. Jumps past a singular. Uh, a singular. Yeah, singular ad. wireless. That something. dates this movie. Also, I didn't know. That singular was spelled with a C. Uh, <laughs> growing up, I was too young when that thing went under and AT&T took over. But anyway. Yeah, and then, you know, Spider-Man saves Mary Jane as well. And yeah. then as Goblin's flying away, probably one of my favorite things they kept <laughs> We'll meet again, Spider-Man! So perfect. Like, perfect. fits this, is... this movie See, perfectly. Okay. Willem Dafoe, I think we gotta go back and just talk about his Green Goblin for a second. No, hold just... on, give us, give us a sec. Okay, no, we're gonna get to that. Just in that scene, though. Okay. Like, that introduction scene. Just... He's like threatening, but hilarious at the same time. And he's like, he's putting on this like very schmaltzy, very campy voice and very campy performance. Like it's perfect. I'm, I'm like, like watching this movie. I'm like, oh, this is why Willem's gonna get remembered for this. It makes me sad at the same time because he's such a great actor. Yeah. And you can still be like, yo, Willem Dafoe. You're, you seen the lighthouse? He's a dude from Spider Man, isn't he? It's like uh, <laughs> now. I think this is the first clear look you get of the goblin costume as well in this uh, parade sequence. I think the lower body works. I think they should have done something different up top in the head. I think... I think it's very strange that you can see his mouth through, like, the mesh. I yeah. think their point was you, like, Willem Dafoe could contort his face and you can tell in, like, the scenes where, like, he's just acting in front of the yeah. mirror and stuff. Um, but I guess they still wanted him to look like the goblin, which at that point I think maybe have him go through a metamorphosis instead of using a suit. Maybe. They, they had, I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but like the original test footage of what they wanted to do with the goblin, which was like this very kind of, it was very practical, but it was like a, it was like a full head prosthetic, uh, yellow eyes and everything still. Mm -hmm. But like you, you had that entire thing so that it was still like, it, it's still, you have that ability to like express, but you also have that, that likeness of the comic. They had the little, the little purple do-rag too. Yeah, he, okay. We, they stole they stole wavy uh, Norman from us. If they just would have kept that do rat, things would have changed. We have not gotten the traditional goblin look in a in a Spider Man movie yet. I don't oh, know yeah, if it'll work. I don't know if it'd work on screen, but I I'd be interested in them. I'd be interested in an attempt. Yeah. yeah. I yeah, but like kind of like what Ruben said, the cost it looks very Power Ranger esque. I'm sorry, he looks like a Power yeah. Rangers villain. Yeah. He looks like freaking Goldar. Like he looks like <laughs> like minus the wings. Um. Yeah, lower body is great. I just I don't dig the mask. Mm -hmm. 
I don't like that mask at all. I don't like that you can see his mouth like from right under. It's very, it, it's off-putting. He looks like a xenomorph because of that. <laughs> I'm gonna finish her nice and slow. You, you can see his mouth. We were like, stop, stop, please, please stop. All right, um, so Goblin is defeated by Spider-Man. Spider-Man, mannequin swingles. <laughs> yes, this has been talked about to death, but there's a shot of Spider-Man swinging with Mary Jane. Literally, And she's yeah. holding on, you can tell it's not a real person Everyone, she's Shay, holding on to. Shay for realist, cosmonaut, all these people have talked about that moment. They and a lot of the things death, that we but... talk about in, right now about these movies, but like, come on. <laughs> like, come on, like, for real? Really? <laughs> Out of all the shots in the movie, I feel like that's the one that ages like maybe the weirdest. All right, and then wine, we, wine. And, <laughs> and after this, uh, Goblin um, finally confronts Norman, I guess. Yeah. Um, and they like have this Ant-Man. amazing scene, probably it's, one of the best p- pieces of acting I've ever yeah. seen in the comic book it's like movie. Hansel and Gretel. <laughs> Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde yeah, I got to say <laughs> where Willem Dafoe is in front of this mirror going back and forth between the two characters which amazing like, I, like I don't know what shot, right? yeah it, it was one shot like at least like the initial tracking shot into the mirror is one shot before you start cutting back and forth but yeah. the way he like is able to change like his facial expressions to differentiate between Norman um, and the goblin personality. And his voice, too. His voices are completely I feel like different. people don't... People don't give that... Because a lot of people talk about, like, the contor- the contortion of the face and, like, the the, phys- the physicality of it. Yeah. But, like, I don't know. It's also because I'm into voice stuff. But, like... Because, yeah, the way it's he just changes so, his voice. It's so... It's like... I'm not going to say it's so subtle because it's not that it's subtle. Not that subtle. But, like, the change between goblin Norman and Norman Norman is just so good. And it's, like... It just drives home everything else. Like, that's, like, the... Little cherry on top, a little bit of sprinkles. Put the sprinkles on there. That's what that is. All right, and then after this, um, briefly we get like a couple scenes with uh, Norman Green Goblin screwing with uh, Peter Parker. We get the thing at uh, the Daily Bugle we already talked about. Yeah. We get the rooftop scene, which is, I mean, yeah. I even think about this back then, but like back then, you usually wouldn't have sequences with two guys in masks talking to each other. I don't think that, that was crazy. very common in movies, mm-hmm. but I think it works here just because of like. The voice acting, I guess, out of both of them. Yeah, really, really well done. Also, what I, what Jacob and I noticed, or was something we talked about, and I guess this kind of goes to the parade scene as well, where like the CGI is the wonkiest in the movie. Yeah, we were like, do you, we were kind of thinking, do you think that a lot of these early two thousands superhero movies had like these final fights in in the nighttime? Just to cover up the CG. Hundred percent. That's yeah. probably what it was. Hundred percent. Because the series the CG you put looks in... so much better, like at night. Yeah. No, because like, I was like, the first movie it's because like, like with visual effects, when you don't have to deal with as much lighting, I feel yeah. like it's easier. Shadow work and like, like you know, yeah. like glare and all whatnot. Makes also, last thing about that parade scene: Do we agree Billy deserved to die? Mm, Billy. The little kid. Oh my God! Yeah, the, the little kid was just standing there. He was just standing there. He was in shock. And why is every little kid in an early two thousands action movie too in shock to move? Anyway, but yep, Spider Man saved him. <laughs> Should have let him die. Should have yes, let him die. <laughs> Not killed him. Negligence. <laughs> All right. It's not the same thing. Alright, so then... If I let Jacob get stabbed, Then we have the action sequence in the burning building where Spider-Man saves a baby from the burning building and then Goblin fakes being a woman 
and they end up fighting. Um, I think this action scene looked pretty good as well. Yeah. Um, uh, you get one of the few quips. Another one of the few quips of. It's you who's out, Gobby. It's you who's out, Gobby. Out of your mind. <laughs> so bad. So dumb. It's so dumb. It's so good. And though. we get one of those crazy transitions Jacob was No talking. one says no to me. One of those crazy it's... transitions Jacob was talking about with the flames, and we end up with <laughs> probably, honestly, one of the best scenes in the movie, the oh, Thanksgiving yeah. scene. I love <laughs> Like, all the components of that. Again, so cheesy. One movie on his moment. <laughs> we quote that thing to Jeb in day to day life. It's like, would you do the con? We misquoted too. Cause he you, says, you misquoted. I misquoted because I think it's funny if you say you do the con. Anyway, I love when Norman walks in and he's just like, oh, work was murder. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> work was so hard. I I killed it today. My I was on fire. <laughs> and then we get Sam Raimi's homage to Mission Impossible with Peter showing up back home. Um, on the roof, and then the cut the goblin gave him drips on the floor. I love the way that Norman finds out that he's the goblin. That uh, not that he's the goblin. That he's Spider Man. He's like, "Where did you get that cut?" I like I like that moment. I like that moment so much because it's like not this very super obvious thing, but he's like, "Oh, oh, oh, you're Spider Man. You're Spider Man. Yeah. It was you all along." Maybe I should have demasked you when I made you sleep. <laughs> and then you see how Norman has become even more of a dick with the goblin stuff as he's leaving. And he describes uh, Mary Jane and what she should mean to Harry. That was... Oh, God. Look, as a kid, I remember he said something mean, but oh, my God. I'm so freaking... What is it? Vulgar and repulsive, he's just like, bro. He's like, like bang her and leave her, essentially. Like, like in, in layman terms, that's essentially what he was saying. Um, also, wait, before we move on from this, yeah. with a stick... With, with the stick. With the stick. With oh, yeah. Stick. What did he mean by that? What did, what did Peter... Okay, this is stupid. Listen, you're going to say this is dumb and I shouldn't even spend any time sidetracking because we've probably already spent an hour talking about this movie and we still have two more to cover. But, like... But, like... You know? I mean... I beat an old lady with the stick. What is with the stick modifying, huh? Oh, I mean, I think Peter's beating the lady with the you stick. Think he's yeah, beating the lady with the stick. Yeah, I'd like to believe that. I mean, that's just funny in my mind. Because, <laughs> like, the other, I mean, if it's the lady holding the stick, it's not as. <laughs> it's just him uh, just beating a crippled woman. All right. So after this, Norman knows who Peter is. Talks to the mask. Very Shakespearean, if stupid. Hamlet. Hamlet. Very Hamlet. Hamlet. Very Hamlet. Hamlet. Hammy Hamlet, if you will. (laughs) Yes. I am so good. I am the center of this podcast. Stop. Edit that out. Edit that out. Please cut that out. Please cut that out. Brandon, would you cut that out, Brandon? (laughs) Okay. So the goblin and Norman end up attacking uh, Aunt May at home. In the campiest scene <laughs> in the entire trilogy. Finish it! Finish it! I'm gonna corrupt I the love, audio. I love how it, she's spraying the Hail Mary explosion behind <laughs> What is it with Sam Raimi and using religion in very cheesy ways? And if you notice, <laughs> the prayer... 
I guess so he didn't offend anyone. It's like starts at the middle of the prayer. So it's like he does, she doesn't say Hail Mary at the beginning. Yeah. So there's no mention of like Mary or anything in it. I mean, it's like how they sing the end of the happy birthday song yeah. because it's copyrighted. And you just hear the end, but you and the rest is implied. It's kind of one of those things. But the bastard really just spooked her and left. I think but like, <laughs> his point was like to mess with Peter. I don't, and besides, I don't think Norman hated Aunt May. Yeah. I feel like, you know, I feel like... Part of why he goes after and tries killing Mary Jane is because I feel like deep down part of Norman actually loves his son. And it's this is a demented way of like showing his affection to his son. You see, Harry, I'll kill your ex-girlfriend for you. I'll do it. Exactly. Look, look, little. Because I think he has some he has some care for Harry. Now, he like it's miss. It's just it's it's. He doesn't express it the way. That oh, he hell does. no. He does not. And like and then he like misleads him like when. Harry tells Norman that Peter loves Mary Jane. He, like, feigns love and, like, hugs Harry. But, you know, like, he's more excited about, oh, boy, now I know how to really screw with Spider-Man. I got this. I got it this time. Also, uh, like, when <laughs> Aunt May goes to the hospital, uh, Spider-Man has an entire conversation right before that. Has a con- I hate that scene. With I'm Mary sorry. Jane? I hate the yeah. scene when she said, I got a, I'm, I'm a crush on Spanning Man. I really like Spider- I like what Peter ends up saying yeah. um, right there about Mary Jane. Like, it's very endearing. To me, that's the moment I most buy that relationship. But it's, like, so cheesy. It's like, I'm going to puke, dude. I don't know. The relationship. I'm, I'm wondering if I, when we go to the, the Amazing Spider-Man movies, if I'm going to have the same reaction to Gwen and, and Spidey in that one. I don't know if I will. I feel like those... Jumping ahead, those that relationship carries those movies because I feel yeah. like those movies are a little weaker. Yeah, yeah. these this movie is held back by the relationship. By the relationship, yeah. I agree. Say. I agree. Also, another interesting thing about this scene, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we can draw a direct cinematic parallel between Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man and uh, Anakin Skywalker here. Go uh, on. Go on. Yes, I thought you would say that because uh, Anime was like when you first saw. Mary Jane Peter, you said, Aunt May? Aunt May? Is that an angel? Oh. Is that an angel? <laughs> Was this Sam Raimi copying George Lucas's homework since no. Phantom Manus no. came out Lies. first? I hate both of those moments. Are you an angel? Like, dude, stop. Please stop. Okay, so Goblin kidnaps Mary Jane, and then we get... Um, Sam Raimi's rendition of the Death night that Gwen Stacy died. Very great, honestly. Yes. I love that scene. Uh, the New Yorkers uh, kind of banded together. Very fitting for the time period this was released in, but also just very fitting to New York in general. I feel like you really feel New York as a character in that first movie, more so than in the, I don't know, even the, the second one still because of the subway scene, but in the third one, like, the, the, yeah, that's gone. The third one, it's gone. Like, that character of New York is no longer there. But here in this first movie, I just love that. I love the interaction between Spider-Man and Mary Jane in that moment. That final fight in the warehouse is okay, so like, much yeah, more brutal. Like, yes, let's talk about the bridge all first. Jacob, do you have anything to add to the bridge? Which, 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 the bridge fight or the bridge confrontation at the end of the movie? No. no really? Nothing at all? 
Yeah. You mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. Which, you know, right after 9-11, as you were saying, I mean, that, yeah. that fit. Like, you needed, oh, that was perfect. You needed that rallying New York's thing back yeah. then. Yeah, I think, I, think I think it would work regardless. I'm telling it's just very characteristic of what New York is as a place. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, any, I mean... I mean, I, I don't really have anything to add there. I mean, I just kind of... I liked, like, the interaction with, like, of the, the people and uh, just the situation. I love how corny the Green Goblin is about yeah. Beginning scene because he's singing the itsy bitsy spider yeah. as he's flying in, and then he's like, "This is why you never be the hero because you never know when some psychopath will hit you with the with the choice." With the oh, choice. that line, <laughs> that is line great. is so I can't even I can't quote it verbatim, yeah. but I just love that yeah. line because it's so it's like so self aware and so stupid. But like again, I don't know. Raimi makes stupid and campy work for him so well because this movie is so good to me like i really enjoyed this 100 so yeah then they end up in the warehouse and they end up duking it out in there brutal brutal brutal, brutal. keyword there dude the music you mentioned the music cuts out for the first half of that fight i can see why the fact we watched this movie for the first time in like 2003 2004 when it first came out ruben and i did jacob was not around in that, yes, in the, in no, that, he was not. that ending battle traumatized me as a kid it scared the shit out of me and I can see why. Just the brutality behind every hit and, like, the fact that these two are getting just brutalized by each other. They're no like, music either. Like, the campiness yeah. just fades away for a yeah. second and you see, like, old evil dead Sam Raimi kind of coming through at that moment where it's just... It's, her, it's, it's, it's... That's another thing I really like in these movies. Sam Raimi instills that feeling of subtle horror throughout and it like works so well especially in this as opposed to most modern comic book movies you feel like the hits you feel the physicality of two guys just effing beating the shit out of each other I'd say the closest you get to that in modern comic book anything is maybe the Daredevil shows yeah Cause that's like the Daredevil. You can really feel that that man is he's getting his butt handed to him like twenty four seven. The death of Goblin. What do we think of that? How that was executed. Godspeed, Spider Man. <laughs> I love how before he I lo- like, he's got. I love the hang glider. I love how the moment that he realizes he's screwed, or like when he's getting beat, he's like, Peter, Peter, stop, stop, please. Like he's, it's like a last ditch attempt, no. and he could have. I mean, like. Clearly, Spider-Sense would have not let him actually do that and be successful. But saying Godspeed Spider-Man right before is so dumb. <laughs> the little O, the little O before he gets impaled is hilarious. Um, but, like, yeah, that scene, that go, that scene goes from funny to horrified so quick. Because you're like, oh, you can, it's kind of funny when he first gets hit, but then he's, he's like an absolute... too. Like, yeah, he's immediately. just... That don't tell Harry line, though. Yeah. I feel like that's the key to, their, to Harry and Norman's relationship right there, is knowing that those two, like, there's still that sense of care between the two. Um, but yeah, Harry with the Glock... Yeah, Harry pulling out the gun. Harry with the Glock. That sets up the... That's the through line of this trilogy. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to mention this now. I don't like Harry's character in this trilogy. I think he works best in this first movie. The moment that he gets his vendetta against Spider-Man, his character dies, I think. There's nothing... There's nothing... We'll talk about that more, too. Um... But then we have... And also, he's an idiot for not realizing that Spider-Man didn't kill him. Spider-Man stabbed my father in the dick twice! I can't believe it. Then we have that final cemetery scene where Peter rejects Mary He's Jane. He's a Sigma. Sigma man. He's a Sigma man. 
Grind set. Grind set. Grind. You gotta turn that mindset into a grind set. Reject humanity. <laughs> I think it works personally. Honestly, yeah. it's it fits Spider Man as a character. I, I think yeah, no. like to a T. Like Spider Man sacrifices his own happiness to keep others that he loves safe. I mean, that's just one of the basic tenets of the character, and I feel like that sequence captures it perfectly. Yeah. And obviously the final swing, I mean, effects not perfect, but... I don't care. Amazing. Iconic. Iconic. If it weren't for Spider-Man 2002, superhero movies as we know it today would not be there. Honestly. Like, because, like, I mean, you had X-Men. You had, like, on the smaller side, Shyamalan's Unbreakable, kind of these things that are... Blade, things that are really starting to, like, introduce superheroes beyond Batman and Superman to the public. But then it's like, there you go. That's it. One of the best origin stories you'll get. I think this in is superhero. I think this is the best origin story. For I superhero. think you can't touch Spider-Man's origin story after this, and I think I, the Amazing Spider-Man, which we will talk about next week or whenever we record that podcast, yeah. is clear evidence that you can't touch that. Origin you story. shouldn't touch it, yeah. or you shouldn't try to like retread it so closely. But yeah. All right. 